All right, everybody. Hey, welcome. Wow, turn around and you're all here. Okay, awesome. Welcome. Thanks for braving the cold. And, uh, yeah, boy, it's a, it's a cold day. Winter is here. I didn't know if it was coming, but it is It is here. So a couple of things just to remind you about. I'll let you know about. One, if you are... Um, if you are basically doing the, uh, if you miss a week, if you miss something, uh, something comes up, you can miss up to three weekends. Uh, if you miss one, you basically just need to listen to the audio file. Um, I sent all of you guys a link, although some of you I didn't have your email, so you may like highlight that in the, in the registration when you register your name in there. Uh, if you haven't signed in, Go to that link. Uh, you can go there right now and go on to uh, the file that basically shows all of your names. You guys signed into it last week. Find that. If you have issues, you can talk to the cohort at the end of our time here. But basically, just put an X next to the date. If you miss a week, uh, we certainly get it. We understand things come up. But if you have missed a week, you need to listen to that audio file. There's an there's a link to the podcast on that Google Drive, on that Google folder uh, in it. And so if you go there, it might be hard to open it from there. If you download uh, the web link, then it should open up for you. Um, basically, listen to that and email me just a one-paragraph uh, summary of each of the classes. If you miss, miss a weekend, that'd be like two paragraphs, one for each class. Um, and not like for anything too intensive, just that you comprehensive, comprehensively understood what was going on. Uh, not that you listened to it like in between, you know, maybe wraps at the gym and weren't really paying attention to what was going on. But, you know, like just uh, send me a quick link there uh, within two weeks after you miss a class. Um, and that'll have everything you need to do. Definitely try not get too far behind on practicals uh, with that, so that'll help you. If you're more than 10 minutes late uh, on a weekend, then uh, you'll need to listen to that uh, part of the podcast as well and give me a, a summary too. So, uh, yeah, you guys doing all right? Yeah. That's good. Uh, the end of this month, in March 29th and 30th, we are doing our LTC retreat. This is a great time. We're going to get to spend some time just talking about uh, the role, uh, the attributes of a, a small group leader, a role of the Holy Spirit in our ministry. Uh, spend some time with the staff and you guys <coughs> together, kind of getting to know each other a little bit. So we have a good time with that. I want to encourage you to try to protect that time. I know people get busy. March 29th is a Friday. We're basically getting up to Essex Park by 5 o'clock that day. And then we'll be going through till uh, 5 o'clock the next day. We'll be back here in Fort Collins. So um, if something for that weekend you really need to, if there's something that you just cannot get out of, uh, we certainly understand those kind of situations do happen. Let us know. It's just going to be a lot of audio listening for you. So try not to uh, miss that if you can. Um, so yeah, when you show up, go ahead and just sign yourself in. Of course, it's just you know honorary system. We figure you guys are honorary students, so just uh, sign, put an X next to your name on that. Um, yeah, great. Okay, I think that's it. Anybody have any questions about anything coming up in the class? 
Let's dive into what we're talking about today, but I'm going to start with a, a video. This was made a while ago by our national director. I thought this was just kind of a, a cool picture at some of the big picture stuff in Chi Alpha right now. So, that's loud. Let's see. Hey, friends, I know it's an important time of the year. It's the beginning of the semester. So much critical things are happening. I want you to know we are praying for you. I want to share something today just really directly from my heart. And I believe that the Spirit of the Lord is saying to us as a movement. About four months ago, um, in a personal time of prayer, the Holy Spirit spoke to me in a very profound way with a prophetic word. And the Spirit of the Lord said this, we're about ready to see the greatest student awakening in history. And I really want to just share that again. The Spirit of the Lord spoke to me and said, we are about to see the greatest student awakening in history. Um, the Spirit of the Lord further went on. I say this with, with great humility. But he said that he was really calling us to be prepared to help lead and steward this movement. When I say us, I mean Chi Alpha. Then the third thing that the Spirit of the Lord shared with me was that the World Mission Summit would be a precursor, not the precursor, but a precursor to this great student awakening and that we would see an outpouring of the spirit at the World Mission Summit in a way that we've never seen in Chi Alpha before. I want to challenge all of you as you are walking in at the beginning of your semester and soon our quarter schools will begin to be able to walk in with a sense of anticipation, with a sense of faith. I don't know when it's going to happen. I just know the Spirit of the Lord spoke and said we need to get prepared. We need to prepare our ourselves in prayer and fasting um, and really asking the Lord to anoint us and to lead us and to guide us. So I want to speak to us as a movement with every bit of sincerity I have. I'm not trying to just hype something up, not trying to conjure something, but I want us to understand what the prophetic word of the Lord is to us as a movement. Within two weeks of that word coming forward, I had three words of affirmation to that. When I was gathered around with the national directors of Crew and InterVarsity and, and, and RUF and Navigators and, and, and the Baptist movements, everybody was sensing that there was something in the spirit that is new and that God is looking to unfold and unleash with us. Um, I was recently at the General Presbyters meeting, and in the first devotional, the speaker got up, and he said that he believes that God is about ready to unleash a great awakening. And that awakening is going to be through millennials. I am telling you, the Spirit of the Lord is doing something. It is incumbent upon us, every one of us, to prepare ourselves and to walk in a, in a new level of faith and belief and preparation for the greatest student awakening in history. So may the Lord bless you today. May he cause you to be fruitful. Let's go reconcile students to Christ. So, he is, Scott Martin is our uh, national director. If you didn't know, um, I after actually we had the World Mission Summit already. We're going to have another one here in a couple of years. To, but we uh, Scott and I went right after the World Mission Summit. We went to Crew headquarters in Orlando, Florida, and we spent a couple of days doing some conversations with other national leaders of campus ministries, talking about kind of the National Day of Prayer. There's a day every year that campus ministries highlight universities around the country to emphasize just prayer within the churches 
for our campuses. And we were there just kind of talking with other national leaders, and they started it, um, this one of the leaders of, of IHOP was there, and he kind of was facilitating some of this, and he asked us to go around and kind of share what uh, we were kind of sensing, what was going on in our different ministries. And Chi Alpha, Scott and I were the last ones to share But by the time we got to it, every person in that room, almost every speaker, every representative of all the major campus ministries said, we don't know what's going on, but we sense like something is happening. There's going to be a revival, a great awakening. Something is happening, and we sense the Lord telling us, prepare. By the time Scott got, you know, got the mic, so to speak, we were just kind of like freaking out a little bit. But let me ask this question. If that's true, if that really is something that is... Um, what is coming at some point. And you may ask, like, what is a revival? What is a great awakening? We could get into all that. Not really the points for me today to kind of dive into that, but just to say, what would happen if we had a thousand students get saved tomorrow on campus? You know, Monday morning, students show up to class, somehow, some way, they just repent. You know, on the plaza, thousand students just on, you know, just repenting on the plaza. That would be cool. But what would happen if that happened? And I would argue probably long term, not a lot. Unless there was a group of people to take them and walk with them and pour into them and disciple them through the process from there. And there's this thing, one of, uh, I can't remember who it was, but one of our ODGs that we love, uh, I can't remember if it was, well, Winky's not ODG yet, but he's getting close. Um, he's either Winky, he's been resuscitated like four times, so he's getting close. But it was Winky or one of those guys. But he said there's this, there's this concept called inoculating Christianity that when you, when you experience it, and actually I think our speaker at, at Fall Breakaway even maybe have mentioned this, but like when, you, when you've experienced Christianity, it, the novelty, the, the excitement of what Christ has done starts to wane on you unless you act within it. Unless you take on that responsibility that what you've been revealed to you, unless you walk that out, you start to get inoculated to Christianity. You start to be like, yeah, I've heard that, been there, done that. Uh, Which is sometimes why, and I was one of these, but why sometimes the hardest people uh, can be the, the Christian kid that is on campus, or at least growing up in Christian heritage in the church, they're so like, oh yeah, I've been there, done that, nothing new under the sun, you don't have to, you're not going to impress me. And I'm like, well, I'm not looking to impress you, I'm looking to walk with you. And, and that kind of thing can happen, but if we don't have people to fight and pursue and minister and disciple students, not a lot would happen. How do you prepare for a great awakening? You make disciple makers. That's what you do. You know, last week I kind of told you guys the story of the outpost, or at least from my perspective, kind of my journey of coming to this place where we pioneered the ministry. And when asking that question, why do we exist, I I don't know if I fully even understand that question. I certainly know that God wanted this ministry here. He wanted us to be part of the kingdom work here on this campus. And, and so it called a Hick from Oregon and a bunch of city kids from Texas. You would have thought that would be the other way around. But, you know, to Colorado to pioneer this ministry because there's something that we're supposed to do. And I think a big part of that can just be encapsulated by the idea of making disciple makers. So here you guys are this morning or this evening. Uh, and we're talking about what does that look like to take on that responsibility in our world. Um, 
I was speaking with with the head of um, we don't emphasize this too much, but behind the scenes, Chi Alpha is supported by the Assemblies of God, and whatever thoughts you know, whatever about that denomination there are, uh, it's almost impossible to argue that it hasn't been the most effective mission sending agency in the last hundred years of Christendom. Uh, it, it started about 100 years ago, now has about 65 million constituents around the world. Uh, pretty radical thing. And I was talking with the head of their missions department. So this is like one of the most influential missionaries there is in the world at this moment. And I was asking him, I said, you know, we have a lot of Chi Alpha graduates that through the connection with Chi Alpha have connected with Assembly's missions efforts around the world. Um, or even doing things like Chi Alpha overseas and connecting with their system and stuff. And said, like, what, what can we do to get students ready for missions? And he said, honestly, I'd rather a Chi Alpha student than almost anybody. He said, I'd rather him than a seminary, a pastor. I'd, I'd rather get a Chi Alpha kid because you guys know what it's like uh, to fight for people in the real world and to pursue them. So, you know, we're not trying to build our kingdom in Chi Alpha, but we are trying to be part of the kingdom work in this world, and we think we have a part to play. And there's something about ministry on a university campus that teaches you what it's like to empathize and to fight for and to walk with people in this season of life. And that principle takes takes you to the rest of your life. I was listening to a podcast just this last week uh, by, by a guy named John Mark Colmer, who's a pastor in Portland, kind of in my backyard, and he was he was interviewing with a guy in Australia, and, and John Mark Colmer was kind of on the edge uh, about 10 years ago on on uh, kind of missional communities and and some of the megachurch movements. He basically realized I he was he's my age. He basically was like I built this megachurch. You know he, he's being <coughs> humble about this. He's just saying you know we had this huge community start building up. We were like we got to do something. We want to change our city. We want to transform our city so we need to get them out there and he was kind of reflecting on that push and he said we really screwed it up (laughs) he said what we did was we basically took something of of a small group paradigm pushed it into responsibility without any discipleship or any understanding of how to reach out and he said typically these missional communities did as much becoming like the world as they did anything trying to transform the world into the image of Christ. And so he was kind of lamenting this need for discipleship in our world and this need to fight for the world. So we're going to kind of talk today, uh, for the next little bit that I've got here, I want to talk a little bit about what does it look like, what does small group look like when we say that word? So. I want you to take that word small group and I want you to put in your mind everything that you're, if you have any uh, Christian heritage and if that was a concept from back then, I want you to picture that and I want you to think about what that was like. Good, bad, different, I don't care. I want you to kind of put your in your mind what would you define small group as and now I want you to throw it away. Because what I want to try to do in the next like 30, 45 minutes here is redefine some of these terms. And it's not to say that like small group in any other context than Chi Alpha is bad. I'm not trying to get there. But in our context, it is so nuanced, so unique, so and oftentimes very different than what people 
have understood that oftentimes students come into Chi Alpha, kind of take that cultural Christian perspective of what small group is, try to insert it into outpost leadership, and it's like a, it rubs the whole time. It's like I, I don't, this doesn't make sense. It's like yeah, because it's not actually small group. I was, I was talking to Dylan, Austin, and we are doing a lot trying to connect with uh, our graduates with with missions opportunities uh, in the church world, and I can't remember if I shared this or not. He, he basically was meeting with this pastor down in Denver, and this pastor has a lot of our alumni in his church, and this guy's like, what is Chi Alpha? I've never heard of Chi Alpha, but I've got all these incredible people coming into my church from, from CSU, and they all say they're part of the outpost, and I don't, who is this? What is? And so Dylan tries to explain Chi Alpha, and he's, he basically starts talking about small group, and the pastor straight up told him, he said, oh, small group doesn't work. It's a waste of time. And Dylan said, well, let me explain. And so he starts to explain what we do. And then he, and the pastor by the end says, oh, that's not small group. That's something totally different. And it's not to mean that there isn't like, you know, again, I'm, I'm trying to hold, walk a fine line here because I'm not saying that every experience in small group is in any way bad. It can be really, really good in the church world. But there is something unique. I have a friend, his name is Derek Britt. He is the Chi Alpha director at Indiana State. <laughs> Um, he's kind of my contemporary over there. He's a district director over the state, but he's mostly on the campus, kind of like me. And him and I were chatting here a while ago, just last semester. And Derek has a really unique perspective because he came from, he was the associate pastor of a, of a mega church, uh, really healthy, thriving situation, although it did ha- start having some dysfunctions that were really difficult on him. But, but they had small group, they had this context, and, and, it was good. It was a healthy context. It was, and so I asked him. I said, "Dude, explain to me, because you know I kind of live and breathe Chi Alpha. Like, what from your perspective? Because his narrative goes like he was in the mega church. He was he was getting disillusioned with ministry, and all these things were happening. He got plugged in with Chi Alpha, kind of fell into it a little bit uh, after resigning from this church." fell into it, and he says in hindsight that basically saved my faith and definitely redefined how I understood ministry could look. And I said, what what redefined? What was different for you? And he said, in my understanding, small group was really, it was healthy in the sense of creating community, which is good, uh, even in a sense of maybe even life together a little bit. We'll get to that here in a minute. But he said, I had never seen, I never understood the idea that you could actually fight and pursue People, fight for people, pursue people. That the idea that you would sacrifice, that someone was sacrificed for you, that someone would actually engage you. He said, we generally treat it like a revolving door. We're trying to, we're trying to keep people in that come in the door. So we're trying to get them connected at that point. But he, but he said, we had never seen, I had never understood the idea that you can empower people to actually go out. And see, the world right now, and this is not America, this is the world. I mean, right now, the church generally works from the idea we're trying to keep people in. And that saying, I think I mentioned last week, that the church, and it's right and good that we should say this maxim, but it is that people need to belong before they believe, which is great and good and right, but is limiting in its scope because what if they don't want to belong? How are they then going to believe? And that idea of pursuing and fighting for people is so critical. It changes the whole ballgame, which is why we see so many things change when we suddenly take on that pers- uh, perspective. Um, 
So let's talk about why is it different. Uh, well, one, actually, uh, I just said it, uh, kind of went into it, but but basically that pursuit concept. Um, what if they don't want to belong? So one of the things when we talk about small group, what we're really trying to find is that concept. That pursuit is so um, not that we don't understand it, not that we don't even preach about it, but in the understanding of saying, hey, when you walk on campus in the fall and we say, hey, we're not going to be attractive. Well, we're going, we hopefully are attractive ministry, but we don't want to be attractional. <coughs> in fact, we try to very much limit our methodology to keep attractional out of the picture as much as we can because we don't have the belief that we can reach this campus by saying, hey, look at our big thing, look at our cool thing, look at our best, you know, whatever, but saying we're going to empower you and you're going to go out and we're going to help you. We're going to walk with you. But when you suddenly take on the conviction to say, I'm going to fight for people, I'm going to go to them and fight for them in their world and invite them into a community and into a relationship with God through that community, that's what's powerful. And that's what changes people's perspectives. And that's how people are going to belong and then eventually, hopefully believe but it comes from first pursuing. In a world that is no longer pursuing the church, the church has to learn to b- pursue the world. Um, the other area where our understanding of small group is going to be uh, pretty different than than almost any other understanding of that word. In fact, we've almost we're the jury's out, but we're seriously debating just throwing out the word small group altogether. Uh, so you may become something else leader someday if you decide to be on leadership. Uh, we're still calling it a small group, but we're kind of trying to clarify some of the redefinitions of, of what we mean by this concept. Um, yeah, tribe small, yeah, tribe group, I don't know, yeah, I know. It's, everything is everything is good and cheesy, and I just, I'm working on it. So I, I do like tribe, that's something I'm thinking about. Okay, um, small group. Small group revolves around your life, not your meeting. This is one of the things that's totally different from the typical perspective and paradigm of small group uh, in the world. Small group, in our understanding, is not revolving around a meeting. It is revolving around your life. And in that context, it certainly does. You know, small group has a weekly meeting, but it is not a weekly meeting. So... I want to break that down for us just a little bit. Um, how is that different? I want to just make sure I don't skip anything here. Um, okay, well, we'll get to that. Let's, okay, we'll get to that. Um, if, if small group is primarily focused on a weekly meeting, it is not intrinsically relational. Not intrinsically. When I was a student, when I started on staff at UNC, um, I didn't get this. I didn't understand this. I did not have a great model at that time of what small group could be. And I was going out on campus and I was getting a bunch of guys together. And within most of the metrics of, of health, I actually had a pretty healthy group. I had about you know close to a dozen guys that were like, kind of hanging around me and we'd get together once a week and I even have people from other ministries that came to my small group because they really liked it more than, you know, theirs. So kind of gave you all, know, yeah, look at that. But but we never, you know, once in a while we kind of do a special thing and I kind of get, some, get them together maybe. But 
there was no sense of togetherness. There was not a sense of community. Um, it was revolving around this weekly meeting. And so at the end of the night, for an hour and a half, they would be together, or two hours, they were together with me, and then they went on their separate ways. And there was no tethering of their lives to one another. There was no tethering of their lives to my life, or vice versa. And I would you know, have formal one-on-ones with them even. You know, I would, I would do that kind of thing. But, but that sense of my life being the nucleus of what we were talking about was totally a foreign concept to me. It all revolved around their weekly meeting. And we never became close in the same way because I did not understand the difference here. So small group is more than a weekly meeting. It revolves around your life. If it revolves around your meeting... Not intrinsically relational. Uh, if you're not relational, then you have nothing to meet about but information. So you are simply, and this I don't say this in a in a negative way, obviously, but you're simply a Bible study at that point. So there's no intimacy uh, either with your God necessarily or with the people in the circle with you. Uh, you are in you. All you have to do, all that the purpose is left for is there's no sense of life together, so all you're left with is just this inserting information into the lives of other people. And while that, at some level, is always important at a level, uh, what we're talking about is so much more. Um, Small group is based on who arrives at that point. Uh, Doesn't matter how much they want it, how deeply connected they are. It doesn't matter how much they pay attention during the meeting. Uh, you could be like uh, Chris Hewitt years ago when he first, uh, you guys probably don't know who that is, but he was one of the first guys in our ministry. Uh, he met some of our staff, got involved, and I had these long conversations with Josh Nicholas. Um, I remember being at, at Wild Boar one time, and we were sitting outside, and Josh was like literally begging me. He's like, let me kick him out. Let me please kick him out. <laughs> I, I can't stand this guy. I, lo- I love him, but I hate him. He's sleeping in my small group meeting. He's like, he shows up because he loves the community, but he's a distraction to everyone, right? So, But if your weekly meeting, and he eventually got radically saved, incredible experience with the Holy Spirit, just freaked him out, really began, like the community changed his whole heart. He, before, he was like, I don't care about Jesus. I just want to hang out. Afterwards, uh, something changed. He began to ask these real questions like, why are you guys so different? I don't get it. I don't understand. Radically changed his life. But if your weekly meeting is the, the nucleus of your ministry, it doesn't really even matter who's there, what context of connection or lack thereof within the mi- ministry meeting there is. All matters is that they're there. That's the definition of your small group. Is Are they there? At least physically. <laughs> and there's a whole depth that you can miss at that point. Um, if, it revol- if it revolves around your life, um, then you begin to merge small group into your life. What do I mean? Um, small group ceases to be something that you do uh, in your life because it's not a weekly meeting that you're going to and doing it because it becomes your lifestyle. It becomes the what you do in your life. It becomes your life. You don't include, you don't add mission into your life. You infuse mission into it. And so it changes your whole approach. And your life tends to have layers. I was talking 
with the leadership team about this here recently, and I think you guys can all shift here, but we're going to kind of jump here a little bit. But um, your life has layers to it, right? Um, and so I'm going to say... I'm going to say layers of relationship. Um, yeah, my handwriting is atrocious, I know. It's beautiful. It's like a doctor. Yeah, that's what people always say. It's like you missed your calling. Um, layers of relationship. So in, in layers of relationship, on the outside, the first, kind of the most surface level of relationships you probably have are just uh, relationships. Um, of proximity relationships of proximity this is this is going to include people like uh, people in your class maybe people at work maybe just there are people that are around you may even know who they are you might even know their name but there's not really a depth of connection you're just tethered because you're in the same class you're in the same work environment you're in the same University, there's this relationship of proximity. Maybe the guy down the hall from you that you've maybe said hi to once or twice, or you saw him at the at the Ram welcome thing, and you kind of know who each other are. But uh, this is not a deep layer of connection or intimacy, but this is part of your life. Then you got another one. Um, got a little bit smaller circle here. Okay, and this next circle is probably um, let's see component. Let's how do I define this? Components of life. That's a that's a bad title. Um, this is just going to be. I'm just going to say, well, relationship of proximity. I'm going to call this relationships. Um, of practicality <laughs> and what I mean by that is it's probably a little bit closer so I'm going to say these are the people that you're actually doing one component of life together you're going to do you're doing something in life together um, you're you're doing class assignments together this is the guy or the gal that you're doing work with in your team you're maybe it's this is um you know, somebody else that you're actually connected to in some way in relationship. And so you kind of know them a little bit deeper, a little bit more. Um, you know, maybe somebody in your senior project, your doormate, maybe. You know, this isn't somebody that, like, you are lifelong friends with, but, but you're tethered from some external purpose, some external reason. You just randomly got connected together in freshman orientation as roommates. And so these are... Uh, relationships of practicality, something external has tethered you together. Um, then we're going to say as a small group leader, you're probably going to have uh, deeper layers. This is where we go from external, and this one, this one might be a little bit external too, but we're going to start moving more towards internal concepts. That really is bad. Um, I'm going to keep to the red. All right, so this one, let's say this is... Let's say this is your outreach uh, community. 
And what I mean by that is you're going to find people and some of them are going to be from these layers here. Some of them are going to be from uh, intentional outreaches that we are going to have you do. Things like freshman, you know, maybe freshman orientation or welcome week, you know, going out there trying to meet people. But, but broadly, within that circle of connection that you have, you're going to start finding people that uh, you're pursuing, but they're not, they're not in your small group. I'm going to define small group here in a little bit. But they're people that you're intentionally beginning to like proactively reach out to and try to connect with them. You're pursuing them a little bit. They're pursuing you maybe even a little bit. But they're not... They're not really part of your life in a, in a deep sense, in a deep way. Then you're going to have probably a whole other layer that's, that's uh, this is uh, the guys that you're doing mission with. Um, and I'm just going to call these missional communities. Uh, but this is your brotherhood. This is what, where your brotherhood already exists. You know, it, hopefully... If you want to do leadership, then that's going to be like your resource group will be part of that. Or maybe the people in your small group currently. These are these are people that you're already like, hey, we're, we're fighting together. We're on mission together. And then in here, here's small group. And small group are the people that you're responsible for in your life. These are the ones that you're responsible for. You're not necessarily responsible here. These are peers. This is this is Paul and Barnabas, right? Missional community. This is kind of Paul and Barnabas. Here, this is Paul and Timothy. Like, I'm fighting for this person. For better, for worse, for richer, for poor, over my dead body, or am I going to let you live a stupid life? This small group here, and, this, and we're going to get to this here in a second, but small group is essentially a community of people who are leaning on each other, revolving around a leader's life, leaning on each other in the pursuit of Christ. And... And here is where here is where you are really working. Well, okay. Now I've got people out here, and if small group is simply a weekly meeting, what happens is you never do anything but ministry right here. That's it. That's your nucleus. That's the only place. That's where you've relegated your faith, and at least any responsibility. It's right there. Small group becomes responsibility. So whoever shows up to the weekly meeting, for the weekly meetings, hour and a half, I am responsible for these people to insert information. That's it. And I move on with my life. And the rest of this life out here has nothing to do with that. But what we really are saying, what we really want, is we want to make your life the center. And if it's your life, then all of this becomes ministry. All of this becomes a means to express the love of Christ to your world. And what I mean by that is, you know, I've got people out here, um, you know, relationships of practicality, for example. I used the example with the leadership team here recently. I had, I have a blood disorder. I have to donate. Well, for two years, I had to donate a pint of blood every week, if you can believe that. Um, and I have, I am basically Iron Man. Um, I have a blood disorder that doesn't allow my body to flush out iron uh, hardly at all. And uh, you're supposed, on some graph that they have, however they measure that, you're supposed to be within 50 and 100 of this graph. Um, when they diagnosed me here a couple years ago, I was at, I was at 14, 1400. 
Uh, you're supposed to be no higher than 100 on the high end. I was at 1,400. They started draining my blood. The only way to get rid of it is to literally get rid of the blood. So they started draining me, um, but you can't do it real fast. So over the course of two years, I was every week a pint of blood just flushing out the iron. But it was funny because I, so I kind of got to know these ladies. I'm like, you, you are, you know, poking my, my arm every week. You're draining the life force out of my body every week. Let's, let's hang out. Let's talk. So while they're draining my blood, I'm like, you know, what's, what are you into? What are you, what's your thing? And all of a sudden I find I had so many opportunities over these last couple of years to actually minister. It's almost hilarious. They're draining the life out of me and I'm praying for them with my other hand. Like, Hey, can I pray for you? You know, there's these moments where I get to encourage them and talk to them about their faith journey, but they're not in my small group. If you want to use that term. They're not in my small group. They're just, they're just people out here, but I find these moments that I get to minister to them. And, and all of a sudden, you know, as people come to this place, we'll talk throughout this semester as how to kind of define this a little bit, but as you start to get a connection here that starts, your goal is always to try to move it in a little bit. So you got people who are revolving out here but you know, you get to have an opportunity. You're looking for that opportunity. You see how they want to minister, and all of a sudden you get to them a little bit closer, and maybe a little bit closer. Before you know it, that outreach community, you're intentionally now. Now it's not just, hey, when I see you, when you're draining my blood, uh, but you know, hey, you want to, you want to come hang out with our our community. You want to come do this thing. Um, I'm going to start intentionally reaching out to you more actively, and then from that you start to create. You invite them into this missional community this resource group or this community of the outpost or this place where they start to experience community and the culture of a kingdom of God, you know, you start to pour into them that way. And then all of a sudden they're, they start revolving around your life and their faith journey. And together you learn to start leaning on each other as you pursue after Christ. So in this way, one of the things that small group leaders, if they treat it like a weekly meeting, one of the issues that they'll constantly have, they'll say, I got four guys. They're so excited. I've got four guys. Why do you have four guys? Because they came to my meeting last week. Okay? That's cool. Um, and we think everything is good, and they think everything is good. And if it's just the weekly meeting, guess what? They're not really doing life together. That priority for that weekly meeting starts to wane, and about a month later, they've got one guy. They thought they had four guys. They got one guy, and they're like, what happened? Well, they didn't make it part of their life. They just made it part of the weekly meeting. And then they don't know what to do because they're like, well, you know, maybe I should like intentionally reach out a little bit more again. But if they would just simply have lived a lifestyle of ministry, people would continuously be being poured into and invited into that circle. And you'll start to find that over time, this nucleus naturally starts to revolve in into your life. And your life, as Paul says, just follow after me, not because the goal was to follow after me, but I'm following Christ. And if you just come hang out with me. We're going to do it together. Follow me as I follow Christ, Paul tells Timothy. Um, so instead of becoming a small group leader in the outpost, which is great and good, and we like that, but is not even necessarily the goal, you suddenly become a minister of the gospel to your world. And that, that is the goal. <coughs> to have a weekly meeting is not the goal. 
Now, I will say this. I'm not trying to dog the weekly meeting. We do encourage you and emphasize the weekly meeting. But we emphasize it in the same way that my wife and I emphasize having a date night in our marriage. Because it's helpful. Our marriage is not a date night. Our marriage is something (coughs) deeper, truer, bigger than that. But date night is great. It kind of gives us some intentionality. Some time to just get away, just to be with the two of us. It's good. And so the weekly meeting is good. But your definition of what we're asking you to do is not encapsulated by that any more than my understanding of my marriage is defined by that. It's simply something that's a tool towards what is really the goal. Um, So how do I prioritize pursuit? Um, How do I prioritize pursuit? Meaning... You've got layers of people. You've got so many layers right there. How do I even decide like who I'm pouring into? What do I, who do I spend my time with? We'll kind of get into more of this as the semester develops. But one, one principle that I just want to kind of highlight, one principle that we work from is simply this. Um, the more potential, the more priority. The more potential, the more priority. Potential for what? More potential for brotherhood or sisterhood. The more priority for pursuit. The more potential... Um, minister whenever the opportunity arises and push closer in circle when they're ready. How do you prioritize? More potential, more priority. What I mean by that is simply Jesus spent more time uh, the deeper in those layers he went. And you could think of this, he ministered to the multitudes, he did that. But then he had the 70 that he was spending time with and kind of giving assignments to and doing stuff more directly with, but within those 70, we see he spent a lot more time, quantity of time, intentionality with these 12. And within the 12, we see he actually would even pull aside these three within the 12 at times to just have a little more memory creation. Like, hey, let me watch me like glow like a glow stick up on the mountain here. Uh, this is going to be great. You're going to never forget this, right? So he kind of gets, you know, the rest of them are like, we don't know what's going on. You know, there's went away. Uh, but even within those even within those three, there was one that he tended to kind of lean on and say, hey, let's let's figure some things out. And he gave him the most opportunities, frankly, to fail at times, but he gave him the most opportunities to kind of grow in his discipleship with Jesus, and that was Peter. And so we see these layers, but what we see is uh, this intentionality, this priority of Jesus based on the potential, I think, uh, of deeper brotherhood. This scripture verse, I used to say, people ask, like, what's your favorite scripture verse? I'm like, the Bible. Um, how do you prioritize? Lately, this is this has become my, the, the chapter and the section that has just been freaking me out over the last couple of years. Even. But John chapter 17, Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross and he has this incredible prayer and in this prayer, what we are seeing is Jesus' statement of his heart for the future. What he is up to. What he is hoping to see happen because of what he is doing on the earth. He's praying, God, may my sacrifice be worth it because this will be the result. And what, are, what is his goal? My prayer is not for them alone. He was just talking about his disciples directly. He was praying for his specific, the twelve. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. 
we believe through the message that came through the disciples from Jesus. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Now let me stop there. That freaks me out. This right here freaks me out. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. The concept in Christianity that has bothered me the most over the years is the Trinity. Not because I don't believe it, but because it is so hard to explain. It's like water, but it's not. It's like an egg, but not really. I don't know how to explain this. And it's not illogical to be three persons in one being, but it is entirely contrary to our understanding of our own personal experience. And so, if I have more time, I get into, I'm reading a book right now that's talking about like how the Trinity is like space. We have up, down, left, right, and through. At any given time, the three have to work together, but they're independent. It's awesome. But how do you explain it? How do you explain this? Well, one thing that fascinates me is this. If God were not a Trinity, there would not be love. And there would not be relationship. Because the world tends to work from one of two contexts. Either God... Uh, you know, I was reading Winky talking about this recently. He said, you know, either you can have God as personal or him as infinite. But only Christianity has ever found a way to actually understand the merge. Not like we figured it out. It was that God revealed this to us. But that he merged the two. You have these personal concepts of, of pantheism, polytheism, the idea of God is everything or gods, many gods. Uh, this idea that God is personal, but there's no infinitude to him. You can't quite figure out where this all started. What's the uncaused cause? <coughs> or you have the infinite. You have the Allah. You have this idea of God being this all-powerful being uh, in the world, but but he's not personal. Because when you take away the idea of the Trinity, you are left with a singularity, and a singularity has no basis for relationship. There's no relation. Why? He made us because he was lonely? Which is actually contradictory if you get into the deep philosophy of, of deity, that he, he would have to be self-sufficient. All things would have to come from his, his singularity. So where does, where does relationship come from? And if you don't have relationship, then there is no love, because love is self-sacrificing for a betterment of another person. Not maybe sometimes our perception of what I get out of it, but what I can give and serve sacrifice. So Jesus here is praying, and what does he say? The only thing that I can compare what my goal is how I want you to be unified is the Trinity. That is the thing of reality. That is the thing I'm trying to draw you close to. That may you be one, as Jesus says, as I am in you, Father. As the Trinity is unified, may the church, may the kingdom of God, may the followers who come after my disciples, may they be unified in a way that only the Trinity that they would come that close to the source of reality, that they would unify so deeply with that principle of, of his nature, that we would be one as he is one. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may also be one as we are one. I am in them, and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. So what Jesus is saying here is may we be unified and may we come into this into this divine dance that the ancients used to say in Christianity, that we join into this 
into this interplay within the Trinity itself. And that, that is a fascinating idea, that that is what we are being invited to do, to be called to do, that we would bring people into that place. And so what that means is my goal, my goal is, is not to make another friend. That's really not my personal goal. I have plenty of Facebook friends, of, you know, whatever. What I'm looking for is brothers. That's my, that's my criteria. I'm looking for the potential to find someone that I can be so unified with that the Trinity is the only expression of reality that can compare to it. That I'm looking for people that I can do life with. C.S. Lewis says that friendship has to be about something, but when the, the thing of your life is the thing that binds you, then the potential for relationship is the greatest that there is in all of reality. Because the greatest thing that binds you is the thing that is most powerful in all of reality. And so I'm looking for people who can, who I can do that with, that I can live life with, that I can minister with, that I can have mission with and lean on and depend on and work together for something that is both incredibly life-giving and um, purposeful. And so when I think about that, that's, that's kind of my criteria of what I'm looking for is I'm looking for that idea in who I'm going to invest my life with. It doesn't mean that they have to be already, because then we'd just be a holy huddle, like ministering to our, you know, Christian brothers and sisters. But but saying, and we'll get to kind of like how we flush that out later in the semester. But how how likely? And so when we start getting into these circles of my life, and my small group is of people around my life that are leaning on me, and I'm leaning on them as we're pursuing after Jesus. When that's the idea, and I'm a minister to my world the way that Jesus was a minister to his, and the fruit of being a minister is he was finding people that were ready and wanted it, started pushing them closer into that circle. And that circle was not, you know, sun or Saturday morning at the tabernacle or at the temple. It was his life. It was his life, and so we're challenging each other to do likewise. So what a small group? I've already kind of gone over it a couple of times here. A community of people around a leader's life who are leaning on each other as they pursue Christ. If that's the definition, then you can have people at your weekly meeting that are not part of your small group. Somebody, you know, Chris Hewitt was not part of Josh's small group at first. He was showing up because he liked the community, but he was not leaning on anyone. He was not depending on anyone. He was he was part of that outreach community, so to speak, in Josh's life. But but you could think, well, he needed a you know, Josh should have poured most of his energy into into Chris Hewitt. Then he could have come to the Lord. When people do that, actually they find that they never actually see anyone come to the Lord. But what happened was there was this deep connection with the people in Josh's life, these guys, and they kept their friendship, their brotherhood was so rich, so deep, so powerful, that Chris just kept getting sucked deeper and deeper into the orbit because he wanted it so badly. Sometimes when we go out and minister by ourselves, nothing happens. If we minister in fellowship with one another, people's lives are forever changed. So that's the definition of small group. Attributes of a healthy small group leader. I'm just going to do this real fast here. I'm going to take a little break. But but doing life together with the leader and the small group community. Doing life together is a core attribute that we would say of small group leading. Uh, what does doing life together look like? Well, break down your life into however many components you like. Say hobbies. Say homework. Say school. Say work. Say 
uh, free time, say whatever. Put every component you could think of, and if if someone is a is allowed in to each of those areas on a fairly regular basis, you're probably doing life together. You don't have to have an event to be together. That's a good litmus test. You don't have to have a plan if you could just call each other up. Spontaneity is not the definition of life together, but it is a good sense. Can you be spontaneous together as much as your life allows? So we'll get more into life togetherness, but that's one one aspect of a healthy small group. Also experiencing acceptance. I don't mean acceptance like, hey, I accept everything about your sin. It's great. I think it's awesome. But what I am saying is acceptance in the sense of you are valuable as, a, as someone made in the image of God, and you are always welcome here. And I am going to honor the crap out of the attributes of God that I see in you, even though you're really a turd most of the time. <laughs> Experiencing support and challenge. It's kind of interesting in modern psychology, they find that, that the study of child development is can be, and this is maybe overly simplified, but can be summarized simply as this. Children need continual support in their development and they need constant challenge. If you have support without challenge, they feel really good about not going anywhere. If they feel challenged but not supported, they go a long ways and feel crappy about it. But they need supported and challenged in that sense of I love you and that acceptance acceptance comes really close into that support. But in that tethering of those two concepts, and discipleship is there too. We're going together. And sometimes we say this, you have to care more about their future than their friendship. Like you need to push, but in a loving way, with tears, say, I want the best for you. I want the most for you. I want to see you become my brother and my sister. I don't want you just to be a, a friend that I had in college and we never talked again after that. Uh, lastly, you're trying to get a community to model vulnerability. And so that certainly by, is by you modeling it yourself, but a community that's modeling vulnerability is able to start leaning on each other because you're seeing the good, the bad, and the ugly. If you can't get past a lack of vulnerability, this is why honor is so critical. It kind of breaks down the posturing of community. But when you model vulnerability, uh, things happen. So, oh yeah, that was from last week. But yeah, still true today. Give up your small ambitions. Come with me to save the world. Gotta love St. Francis Xavier. All right, you guys take a break. We're gonna take uh, a few minutes here and we'll come back here in uh, probably five or six minutes and we'll get going with the next class. Thanks, guys. <sighs> I'm gonna pray. <laughs> uh, Jesus, I just thank you, Lord, for every person in this room, God. Thank you for all that you've done in them, God. Thank you for. Um, Man, just revealing yourself to each one of them, Lord, and giving them a heart for people. Lord, I just pray that you continue to grow that tonight, that they would leave with a burden, God, a, a burden for this campus, a burden for for um, people who don't know you, Jesus. And I just pray that um, they just desire, God, desire to see uh, people come to know you, desire to have sons and daughters spiritually, God. I just pray that there would be a real hunger for that, Jesus. And Lord, we just love you, and we do this because of you, God. We do this because we love you, Jesus, because we are motivated by our love for you, God. And we just thank you for that, Jesus. In your name, amen. amen. Cool. So I'm going to talk about transgenerational discipleship, and um, this is probably 
something, there's lots of things that mark us as kind of different than other ministries, and this is definitely a big one. Um, you know, you might wonder, like, why we don't just, like, go in the plaza and have a sign and say, like, do you want Jesus? Or, like, you know, want a Christian community, want a Christian friend, you know? Um, you know, that that's, of course, useful, but, but it's not um, the most effective way. And so what is, is transgenerational discipleship, which is what I'm going to talk about. So, um, yeah, have you guys ever, like, lost anything really important? <laughs> like, Brent and I are, like, <coughs> the worst. <laughs> Losing things. Like, just Thanksgiving break, I realized, like, I didn't have my driver's license in my wallet. And I was like, oh, no, I should get that back. And I, like, asked Brent where it was. And we had just flown from Texas. And he realized he threw it in the trash. Because <laughs> it was, like, where our tickets were. And you just like threw them away. Oh, no, no, no. It's like really important. <laughs> <laughs> and so you both had to get new driver's license. It's fine. Um, but you know, like when you have something important and you like don't want to lose it, you know, you're like always keeping that in your mind. You know, like like just the other day, Jude Nate's little boy was at our house and he has this really cool watch that's like a toy watch. PJ Masks, you guys probably don't know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, and every like five minutes, he was always like, where is it? Like, where'd it go? And making sure that he like never lost it. And it was like always on his mind, you know, you can tell, his little five-year-old mind. And um, and so, it's actually at our house, but like, he did actually listen. I think I grew up. Anyways, um, yeah, and so we don't like treat things that we want to lose like this flippancy you know we don't like just say like you know to something that's really important like hey you know I'm just gonna leave this I'm just gonna leave Everlane Cohen at the park and then I'm gonna you know <laughs> like leave you know like they're so precious to me you know can you imagine if like you know someone was babysitting or something and I came back and I was like where's Cohen and they're like oh I don't know <laughs> you know like that would be awful because Cohen is precious to me, you know, and a lot of times we treat what is important to God with flippancy, we do that a lot, you know, and what is the most important thing to God, you know, is his people, like he loves, loves his people, like they're so precious to him, and so this is going to teach you guys how to treat what is most precious to God, which is, which is people, so yeah. Um, which is this? So I want to just tell you a little bit about, um, yeah, kind of my story. So um, I didn't really grow up in church at all. Um, I remember, like, in second grade, this really cool South Korean girl invited me to her Bible camp, but it was all in Korean. <laughs> First experience, I was like, yeah, I guess God, I heard them talk about God to him. And, um, but I didn't really, like, get exposed to much. My mom and dad were, grew up Catholic, but they didn't really, like, go very much. And, um, and so just kind of grew up without any knowledge of the Lord. Then, 13 years old, my parents got divorced. And I don't know if whoever of you guys, like, have had, gone through, like, divorce or separation. Like, you always react in a certain way to it. And I react in total rebellion. (laughs) And I was just like... 
I'm gonna do whatever I want and I'm not gonna be at home because I don't wanna be at home because it's not a happy place for me. And so um, that's where I started to like really make really poor decisions that kind of uh, took my life not in a good place. And so all through middle school, high school, I was just, you know, partying a lot, seeing a lot, um, just completely living like for myself. And, um, but I was in ignorant bliss, you know, cause I didn't really know any better. I didn't know what to do. I never met a Christian that told me anything else of how to live. And so that was just how I lived. That's how I responded. And then um, I went to college wanting a new life because I was just really messed up and I could tell that I wasn't really happy. I could tell that there was like a huge void in my life. And um, so I was like, man, I really hope that I find a good community um, when I go to college. And so I went to college at Sam Houston State University, which is where I did this internship. And um, freshman year, I, this is even before Kai Alpha came along, I met this girl named Adriana, and she was a Christian, and um, she reached out to me, and was a really good friend to me, and um, I remember I would share with her, like, what I did on the weekends, and she would, like, be in shock, and, like, she would, like, actually, like, she, one time she, like, actually weeped, because she was, like, really heartbroken over the things that I did that weekend. And um, and I remember she opened her Bible and she was like, can I just share something with you? And she shared with me the gospel. And I remember, I, I feel like at that moment, my eyes were like washed clean, like as if like a veil had fallen from my face. And for the first time I, I heard the truth. It's like as if you experience reality for the first time, you know? And so um, it was just such a powerful moment. And she invited me to like, to like walk with Jesus and to like learn how to be a Christian. And I was just like so desperate to like find an answer to like fixing my life that I was like, yes, like I want that, you know? The only problem <laughs> was that Adriana was going through a lot herself. And so she, uh, we would talk about the Lord and we would still go party on the weekends. <laughs> and then she would, you know, tell me, like, something cool she learned. And then we would still go get drunk and, like, go, like, out a lot and stuff. <coughs> and so I I am so grateful that she shared with me about the Lord. But after six months, like, of doing that, I was even more miserable, I felt. Because, you know, I was living in ignorant bliss before. And then now I was starting to read the Bible, and then I started feeling, like, more miserable about what I was doing. But I didn't know, like, how to not do that because I didn't know anyone else who was a Christian other than Adriana. And so um, and so I was just, like, in this kind of pickle of, like, you know, how do I, how do I really, like, live for God? And I remember even crying and being like, God, I'm just, like, such a failure. Like, I don't think I could ever, like, be a Christian because... I just have, have all these, like, bad habits, and I have, like, this life that I don't like, and I know you don't like, and so I think I'm just going to, like, give up. <laughs> and so that's how I ended freshman year. And then sophomore year, I met um, my future small group leader's boyfriend, who invited me to Chi Alpha, and I thought Chi Alpha would be a party. And so I was like, sure, I'll go. And <laughs> I took a couple of my friends with me. 
And uh, I remember going to the address, and like it was a church. <laughs> I was like, this is weird. Like maybe this is where they're like meeting up or something. And I remember walking in to the church. I'll just like never forget this. It's like always stuck in my mind. But um, you know, Kyle, the path of there is huge, and there's 1,200 students, and they're all worshiping the Lord. Uh, there's like band playing, and some people are on their knees and like crying. And I was just like, what is this? Like, wh- how have I like never seen this before? And um, it was there that I met my small group leader, Amanda. And Amanda, man, she really loved the Lord and was like a woman of God, you know? And she just like took me, like literally brought me and was like, you're, she claimed me, you know, in a sense. I didn't know that at the time, but she did. And um, she loved me. She taught me how to read the Bible. She taught me how to pray. She taught me how to like be free from all of this bondage that I had in my life, how to forgive people. Man, she taught me how to live, like literally how to live. And um, it is because of small group, because of her leadership, that I am walking with God today. Because I'm very grateful for for Adriana and like how she shared with me, but if it was just that, I wouldn't have made it, you know? And so that is why like small group, and I'm sure Nate shared some of this, like small group is so important because we're not only teaching people like, or sharing people Jesus's message, we're we're showing people how to live, how to how to actually make it in this life, yeah. like not just their four years. Like I hope the people you meet, you care that in 30, 40, 50 years, you're still walking with God. And I mean, Amanda gave me that, and I'm so grateful. And I think a lot of times we confuse Jesus's me- message with Jesus's method, and Jesus' message, I mean, is of course so important. I mean, thank you, Lord, for the Bible and the messages that he gave to the masses. But you see, towards the end of the Gospels, he starts retreating back from the masses. And he starts spending more time with who? His disciples, you know, his small group. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, so that's that's Jesus' method, is, is small group. You know, he spends most of his time pouring into his disciples because that's where he saw the most importance. You know, he doesn't, you know, Jesus doesn't do anything casually. He doesn't do anything without a huge purpose, you know, and his purpose for spending time with with his disciples was that he knew that would be what would carry on. Mm -hmm. And so what Amanda did for me, I'm so grateful for, and I was able to say, okay, Amanda loved me, spent so much time with me, um, showed literally showed me how to live, and I want to do that for someone else. And so what, what she gave me, I could give to someone else. It was givable, you mm-hmm. know? And so each of you here, I, I hope, I mean, I'm sure, because you guys are sitting in this room, have small group leaders who have given you that, have given you, you know, some of you guys may have been Christians or, or not, and so some people you know, may um, just have learned how to walk with God for the first time, and some of you guys still might, even though you guys were, you know, grow, grew up in the church, you guys might for the first time actually be, like, really, really walking with Jesus, you know, and what your small group leader gave you, you can give, you can give away, and that's what's so cool about you guys being here, is you guys are going to do that, you guys are going to give that away, and when you give that away, they're going to want to give it away. And that's what 
this is about <laughs> is that so pretty cool pretty exciting <coughs> okay so um so yeah as i was saying this is jesus's method is that he he poured into the few rather than the masses and um and yeah what jesus did was so smart and we're gonna show you just literally how it is smart <laughs> so um yeah so we have this thing that we talk about a lot the super evangelist versus the faithful discipler and so you know we're grateful for evangelists obviously like the billy grahams of, of our day um and we're also but you also see that let's say if we had one person that was a super evangelist eventually in the end <laughs> You know who would be more effective and you see that it would be the faithful discipler so let's say for example the super evangelist let's say there's one person you know let's say it's Corey Corey you're super evangelist yes. and, <laughs> and you hold this huge meeting and 365,000 people come to know God let's say you're like I'm gonna do that every year every year I want to see 365 people come to know the Lord. Just look at, at how much it would get every year. I mean, it's pretty crazy. Get up to 3,650,000. Um, but let's say I have, you know, you five right here. You know, say, okay, you guys go out on campus and find five people to, to disciple. You know, and you guys go out and find five people. The next year we have 25, which would be pretty exciting. <laughs> and then um, and then that 25 goes out and finds five. And it's 125. Still, like, so little compared to year three of the super evangelist. But then as you see it increase, year four, 625, 3,125, 15,625, you know, it's getting more slowly. But even year eight, look at that, like 2,920,000, you think, man, can't catch up to that. <laughs> but then all of a sudden, you see you're nine, and then you're ten, and all of a sudden, it's like uncomparable, you know? Nine million seven hundred twenty-five thousand six hundred twenty-five. Like that's crazy. And this, this was like Jesus's method, you know, of like pouring into the few, because he knew that that was what was going to be passed down, like what he gave his disciples. They could give to others and so that's why um one of the most important verses we talk about a lot in um in this class and just an outpost is second timothy 2 2 and i don't know if we still make people memorize it but we should it says and the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. And what's so amazing about this verse <coughs> is that there are four generations represented in this verse. So Paul is talking to Timothy, and he's telling him this, and the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people, so that's the third generation, who will also be qualified to teach others. Mm -hmm. And that's the fourth one. Yeah. So this verse is 
is our mission. <laughs> you know, that what we give, we can give to reliable people, reliable men and women who will also be qualified to teach others. Like that is that is our mission. That's our goal. And so um, and so that's why we have you guys doing this, you know, small group leading. So yeah, um what what's amazing about um Outpost is that we love to uh keep the spiritual lineage going. We love um we love that you get time to like get to know your small group leader, but we also like want you to get to know where your small group leader was from. I mean, there's such an there's such an importance in like the generations that you come to, you know. And I mean, I just think about the people who pioneered this ministry, having no idea what effect it would take for you know them being here. And now some of you guys are sitting here right now because of those people that came to the year. And so it's just an amazing thing. And, and it is this verse, like, literally coming into life. And so um, I just have an example of one from people here, which is pretty cool. So, um... So at the top here is um, Abby Nicholas. And Abby Nicholas is awesome. She's Josh Nicholas's wife. Um, Josh Nicholas came for our missions week last year. So you guys, whoever was there last year, might have heard him speak. But Josh was on the pioneering team with Nate. And um, a couple of years later, got married and brought Abby. And Abby is from Sam Houston State, which is where I went to school. And she has a very, very strong lineage at Sam Houston State. But gave that up and came here. And it's amazing because she has such a, spir- a spiritual lineage here. And then after she was here, she was in Russia um, being a part of the ministry there for two years. And she has, um, you know, a spiritual lineage there in Russia. And now she is on the pioneering team in College Station, Texas, with A&M. And she has a lineage going right now. And, I mean, you know, Nate was talking, like, last week about how amazing it's going to be when we get to heaven and all you can bring are the people with you, you know? And I just can imagine, like, Abby, you know, like, getting to heaven and being like, "What? I don't know what I did. And <laughs> Jesus would be like, look at all these people that you brought, you know? And just, like, show, showing Abby, like, all that, the effect that she's had. And it's still going. And so this is pretty amazing. So <coughs> Abby came, um, man, 2009, 2010, 2011? Abby 11. Okay. And um, she had an amazing small group, and uh, part of that small group, she had Katie Cam, who's awesome, and Annalisa Jope, or Peterson now, uh, with like some other girls in there. And um, man, Abby totally, uh, I mean, brought Katie Cam to the Lord. Um, Annalisa had come from kind of a Christian background, but she really got on fire for the Lord in Abby's small group. And they both sat in this class like you guys and got the heart for discipleship and said, man, what God did in me, he could do through me. And so um, so let's start with Katie. So Katie ended up meeting Jennifer Talley when she was a freshman, which um, Jennifer Talley as a freshman was pretty great, (laughs) pretty special. Uh, But she, I mean, Jennifer just radically came to know the Lord through Katie Cam's small group, through this community as a whole. 
um, and became the Jennifer Talley that we all know and love today. Um, and Jennifer Talley had such a heart for, for the campus, I mean, so much, like I'd never seen before. And she was trying to just find someone to just faithfully disciple. And I mean, Emmy was that answer to prayer for her, was, um, was Jennifer's answer to prayer. And so um, she really discipled Emmy. And I mean, if any of you guys know Emmy, y'all should hear her testimony and just how incredible she is. Uh, she's amazing. So we're so grateful for that. And then through Emmy, now has Katie, who, I don't know where she is. Not here today. Oh, she's not here today. <laughs> this, this is her right here. And so, um, who is now in LCC, which is really amazing through Emmy's small group. And so, I mean, you can see that also with Annalisa. I mean, Annalisa had an amazing small group. There could be like lines like all throughout here, but um, but I just picked two. And um, and yeah, you can see like Annalisa discipled McKinley, who discipled Natalie, who discipled. Asia, who's here, who's going to disciple next year, and there's another little face right here. Um, Annalisa discipled Christy, who discipled Hannah, who discipled Sydney, who's sitting right here, who's going to have another face right here. You know, Annalisa discipled Christy, who discipled Ashley, who discipled lots of people, but I just chose everyone because you can fit right here perfectly. Irene, hello. And so, um, and Irene's going to have another face right here. And it's just going to keep going and going out and down, and <laughs> it'll it'll keep going. And so this is what we're talking about, yeah. the spiritual lineage. Isn't that so cool? Yeah. Like, yes. how amazing, so how beautiful, awesome. and, like, totally, you know, God can use all of us, you know, and do this here. Yeah. And so I just I just want you guys to be encouraged by that, that th this could actually happen to you. So just a couple more things. Um so what is produced through transgenerational discipleship? You bear fruit unknown, bearing fruit where you won't see it in this life. And that's exactly what I was talking about with Amanda, you know, or not Amanda, Abby. Um, Abby has no, I, I mean, I keep telling her all the time, like, feeling you're just going strong here. But she really will come to a point where she has no idea what her ministry has done and how it's affected people. And so it, it's incredible when you do this type of discipleship where you're passing it along generation after generation, you're going to come to a point where you're not even going to know how far your ministry has gone, your discipleship has gone. And so how, in, I mean, amazing is that, that you'll get to, to bear fruit you won't even see until you go to heaven, until eternity. It's pretty incredible. Um, and then also you make leaders who go further than us. We must be equipping our leaders to do greater things in Jesus by growing them in their convictions. And so that's another thing that's amazing about small group is you're building them up to be better than you. You know, that's the goal, is for them to be better small group leaders than yourself. You know, and what's amazing about your small group leaders now is I'm sure they've had a lot of successes and a lot of failure, <laughs> and they're going to share that with you. They're going to be like, hey, this really worked, and this totally didn't work. <laughs> you know, so don't do that and do this, you know. Um, what's amazing about our small group leaders is that we're growing in our convictions, like just through walking with God. We're growing in our convictions. And we are, our small group leaders are passing those convictions and what God's teaching us along to you guys. And so you guys are already going to be way more ahead, <laughs> you know, just from, from, 
gleaning from your uh, small group leaders walk with God, you know, that you're going to be just set up for success, you know, for the fall semester. And so it's amazing how, yeah, even just convictions and values are passed along, even in generations. You know, like, it's funny, I was like making food the other day, and I still make the same meal that like Amanda made me, like every week for small group. She made peanut chicken. It's like, Challenge me in what does she, what does she really value? What are her convictions and certain things, and and how can I keep that going? Like wh- just like write that down sometime and, and just really think about man, what do I really want to pass along to like my spiritual daughter, my spiritual son, you know? So it's pretty cool. Yep. <laughs> cool. So yeah, we, we're excited for all of you guys for this to happen because this is where you guys get a spiritual inheritance, you know, and inheritance is a trait or legacy you're leaving to another generation. And um, I just really want you guys to ask yourselves, what legacy do you want to leave here at CSU? You know, um, what is something that God's really um, shown you that you have to offer to the next person that will be in your small group, you know? Um, I love just, like, thinking about that. Like, what, what is something, yeah, something you value, something you've learned in small group that that really changed your world, <laughs> that really changed your walk with God, that you're like, man, if every girl or guy on campus could just, like, experience this or, 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 or sense this, like, man, that would be amazing. And, and, and if just my lineage could just have this, you know, and just pass this along, like, we'd be way better off, you know, and so just think about that, like, maybe journal that, like, later, just think about, like, what kind of legacy you want to leave here at CSU, because what's amazing is you guys all are going to leave a legacy here, you know, you guys are committing to to doing this and, and building a small group, and it's going to go on for generation to generation, we hope, you know, and it's going to be amazing what kind of legacy you're going to leave and how like four years later, someone's going to be sitting here and they're going to message you and thank you and <laughs> feel like because of your leadership four years ago, like I really value this, you know, and I really have a conviction for discipleship like you did. And so, um, yeah, so it's pretty amazing. So just something to think about. Um, yes, and so just last thing. Um, you know, we said we say this a lot, and evidence of a transformed heart is gratitude. Um, and how will you know people have been transformed in your small group? Man, when I was transformed, I've, I just felt like I could just hug Amanda forever, you know, because <laughs> I was just, like, so grateful to her and um, for all that she did for me. And even now, like, I'm still so grateful for her, 
and I could talk about <coughs> her every day, forever, and you know, because she, she just did so much for me, and so I have such a heart of gratitude towards everything Amanda has given me, and so I want you guys to just like remember all that your small group leader has given you guys. Like, your small group leader was here in this class, getting this heart for discipleship, praying, dreaming about each of you, <coughs> and found you guys through prayer mm-hmm. and through the Lord. <laughs> and now you guys are here, and they've given so much to you guys, so much. And so I just really hope you guys like express gratitude to your small group leader if you haven't already. Just like next time you see them, just thank them for all the time that they've given you, the sacrifice, the time. I mean, they sacrificed so much time to, to build a small group and to discipling you and other people. And so just just really think about that and, and thank them. And, and just in your, in your time with the Lord, thank the Lord that he brought you here to CSU. You know, you guys could have gone anywhere and I'll come to CSU. And um, thank the Lord that that he met you here in college, you know, because odds were against you, <laughs> and and he found you guys, you know, and so just really express gratitude to the Lord whenever um, you're with him next. Yeah, cool. So I'm gonna um we're gonna go ahead and transition into cohort time, and this is um y'all's next practical. So you're going to trace your spiritual lineage. So you're going to go back at least four generations. Um, I know a lot of us on staff can probably help you, or um, your small group leader obviously can help you um, look back because they had to do this when they were in LTC. And so go ahead and do that, and then call or message them, and just thank them. Thank them for discipling the person that is in your family, family line. So like because of you and, and building a small group, like I'm here. Um, it will be really impactful for them and ask them for advice you know be like do you have any advice since I'm going to be a first year small group leader that you could give me and I'm sure they'll have um, great great advice to give you Um, and then just in your cohort time tonight talk about what legacy you want to leave or what your small group leader exemplifies so well that you want to be sure to continue kind of like what we talked about what about if your small group leader is an intern or you're an intern and so you need to go back to like your lineage. Lineage, okay. Even if it's not at CSU. Yeah, even if it's not CSU. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we are looking for Chi Alpha. We are looking for Chi Alpha, but um, yeah, but it could be <coughs> Oklahoma okay, cool. people Thanks. and just have them trip back to Oklahoma. Okay, cool. Yeah. Thanks. Cool. So, do you have any questions? Thanks, Lily. Yeah. yeah. Very nice. <laughs> All right, guys. Hey, um, give Lily a hand. Um, real quick, for for the time you've got, uh, interns, what are we doing after this? For anybody who wants to hang out after? Hot tea and hot chocolate. Here? In the food court. Yeah, because they, they like to lock up these rooms after where you reserve them. Okay. So we're going to the food court. Okay. Hot chocolate and tea and games. Okay, sweet. Um, sweet. The um, okay. So guys, if you saw online, we'll go back. We'll <coughs> go back four generations, just uh, so you see that. Um, 
help them think through their last week, how it went, what did they learn, uh, and then this week, what's their game plan, and if they need any advice on how to find their family alliance or anything like that, of course, just talk to your small group leader and say, who is your small group leader, and keep going. Uh, start <laughs> earlier in the week, because it may take you a little while to get hold of them or things like that as well. Um, but do that, and then what Illy said there. Now, we have, uh, who who has, a, has the fewest in their cohorts of the, f we have six cohorts, right? Yeah. Uh, Cass, everybody that's a cohort leader, raise your hand. Uh, Dylan, how many you have in your cohort? I don't know. No, I don't remember either. Okay. Um, everybody get with your cohort right now. Uh, everybody just get with your cohort. Uh, 